You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Uncivil Outlaw. Part 4. Resolve. Chapter 18. Hunted. Now aboard the thundercloud I sat at a long conference table, my head hung down. White stood behind me and rested his gauntlets upon my shoulders. Your plan failed. You went behind my back, deserted your post, aided a known fugitive, evaded capture for many days, took considerably more than your allotted ten minutes and still somehow failed to convince her to return to the fold. I nodded slowly. You realize this depletes my alternative options to hunting and killing her. Capture would now appear to be more hazardous than it is worth. There is one possibility which we haven't yet discussed, I said. The words heavy, clangorous, metallic in my mouth. I know where Abigail is headed. Tell me. And I know to whom. Krieger and Greta. It stands to reason she would seek answers. So, where are they? If we find them... I will take Greta instead of Grey. Deal. He stepped to one side of me and extended his hand. I looked at it and hesitated. That had happened so much quicker than it had in my head. Where is Agent Lee? I asked, noting now how very alone White seemed. I I had her sent back to Washington to heal up, he replied, his hand still out there. Your partner broke her leg. She will never be as agile again. Were you sad to see her go? Of course. Lee remained. Loyal to the last. Greta is very powerful. I warned. You must keep her safe and treat her and her husband well. Count on it. The location, please. Slowly, finally, I shook the hand that was offered. I'm doing this to keep everyone alive, I said, wondering whom I was attempting to convince. She's headed to San Francisco. Several days of uncomfortable flying later, the Nag and I were nearing our destination. We had not spoken much to begin with. I didn't ask why he ran away, and he didn't ask why I had. We had to take regular rest stops because of his still aching shoulder. We traveled 1,200 miles west. As we crossed Arizona, the Grand Canyon stretched out beneath us. This was a sight I had never expected to see from a vantage point I could never have dreamed of attaining. We soared like an immense eagle, following the winding Colorado River far below. It was all at a scale that left me breathless and clinging to his mane. I was glad of this surly company right now, because the sense of solitude was overwhelming. At night we would stop and I would build a campfire. 
The nag would stand by the river and wait, his revealed horn glinting in the moonlight. Then he would lunge down and skewer a trout, carrying it back to me to cook. Do you have any garlic? No. Lemon? No. Butter? No. Salt and pepper? No. Do you possess, in your survival kit, the merest basic ingredients of culinary aptitude required to transform raw fish into a tasty meal? Do you want to get slapped with a raw fish? Oh, well, I suppose I didn't expect the Ritz. He went to get another when I established that we would have to share. And soon enough, we were picking at the trout kebabs, which I had crafted with pointy sticks and trout. So? The nag muttered. Did you reject him, or did he reject you? This was the first time he had referenced James and our journey together. I think it would be fair to say, I replied, chewing thoughtfully, that we rejected one another. Better to be alone. He snorted. Simpler, easier, especially for quarrelsome shits like us. I was sat cross-legged beside his broad shoulder. I glanced across, and very slowly, very shyly, for me at least, I leaned back and rested against him. His matted fur was warm, even through my coat. What are you doing? Just getting comfortable. Bad idea. He grumbled. Ghastly. I took off my hat, rested my neck against his, and before I knew it, I was crying again. This was ludicrous. A decade without a tear, and here I was, a powerhouse of strength and ability, weeping like a fretful little girl. I'm sorry. I couldn't protect you when the bullets started flying. The nag said nothing. He just sat there and supported my weight. (laughs) When the orange talons of dawn crept into the sky, I awoke aching and stiff. The fire was just embers now, and the nag was snoring quietly. But there was a low rumble underneath that sound. I scanned the sky, cocking my ear before shaking the horse awake. We have to go, I said in a harsh whisper. They're coming. We climbed up into the heavens, and as we cleared the canyon walls, I saw for definite that in the distance the thundercloud was indeed approaching. This was to be a race, then. We fled across Arizona, stopping when the nag tired, resting as much as we could, sleeping in shifts for a few hours each until we heard the sounds of those turbines in the distance. We crossed the Nevada desert, and here and there we saw patches of settlement, but the land was far emptier of people than I'd expected. Back east, we had often speculated on thriving civilizations out here, our former families building new cities and establishing fresh territory all the way. And from what Zonta had told us, this was true in small part, but I just hadn't comprehended how much of America was simply empty space, fields and deserts, prairies and lakes. It wasn't quite paradise, but it was unspoiled enough to perform a passable impression. And sure enough, I saw native camps scattered here and there. They were living with the land, as though the Wendigo had never happened. And neither had we. Majestic, enormous herds of buffalo grazed upon the mesas I had passed on my journey, their hunters watchful. 
We evoked a slew of different reactions as we soared overhead, quite visible to those watching from the ground. Sometimes spears or arrows would be flung our way, but more often than not they seemed delighted to see a horse careering across the sky, and they looked up cheering or stilled at the extraordinary sight. If only they had known what a filthy bastard he was when you spoke to him, they might have saved their elation. I figured Raven would be happy with this outcome. Finally, we reached California after days of flying and sleeping rough. I felt fairly terrible, and definitely not ready for a fight. But we had lost time in resting, and the Zeppelin had gained ground on us. I could practically see White and James through the viewing window if I turned back. We swooped down over the Bay Area to find it bustling with life. It was now white faces that were craning up to look at us in point. We beheld shipping yards and docks, a long snaking set of tracks from the Pacific Railroad heading back east. If this city had fallen to the Wendigo, then by God they had taken it back. And just as Yagana had said, at the mouth of the bay in the southern shores stood a structure of astonishing grandeur and faded, lonely majesty. It was a tall castle with a lofty spire reaching up to the heavens. Great looping arches cascaded from its frame like the jets of water bursting from a dam, only to be frozen in place and transfixed in stone. And it was a kind of stone I recognized, and a kind of architecture too. Dark grey with flecks of shining green ore. Nag! I cried into his ear as we descended. Is this place from Kelador? It would appear so. Then how is it here in our world? How does a whole castle wind up in century? As we landed on the sand, the nag shook his head up toward a man who had been fishing on a nearby pier, but was now gawping at the two of us. It's a citadel. The nag snorted, quietly this time, hiding his wings from the man, though they had clearly been seen. Perhaps that fellow can tell you. The horse eyed the sky behind us, spotting thundercloud drawing ever nearer and now descending. We've very little time. He coughed. Hey there! I shouted across at the fisherman. What's this place? Did you just fly in on that there horse? The man yelled back. Time! Time! The nag spluttered again. And it talks. What's your name, sir? I'm Ned. Old Ned? I exclaimed. It didn't sound like him. Nah, just Ned. He replied, somewhat affronted. Ned, we're in kind of a hurry. What is this place? I pointed at the Colossus we stood in the shadow of. Ain't nobody goes in there. It's hainted. Then why are you fishing beside it? Because this has been my favorite spot for years. And it's still just as good even with a hainted castle bearing down on it. So it's not been there long. Who built it? Never saw nobody build it. One night it weren't there, the next morning it was. But nobody who travels too deep inside ever comes back out. I see. Well, goodbye, Ned. It's been nice briefly knowing you. You going in then? He inquired. I glanced back at the Zeppelin as it neared the ground. Looks like I don't have much of a choice with them on my tail. Listen, Ned, don't run. Carry on fishing. Just tell them what they need to know. 
I'll be all right. You're a strange gal. He commented. Mighty brave. Mighty afraid. I felt a goose walk over my grave as he resumed his fishing, and I turned back to the nag. I've got to go. I cannot be captured. I moved close to him and rested my head next to his ear. You've shown me such kindness, I said softly. He merely grunted in return. Don't worry. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> At this, he snorted wildly, and, sprouting those wings again, he climbed up into the air, over the bay, wheeling around and galloping across the sky back east. For one insane moment, a thought popped into my head, leading me to mutter, I hope he's okay with raw fish. Then I turned and ran toward the great open portcullis of this strange, out-of-place citadel. You have been listening to episode 18 of Uncivil Outlaw, Hunted, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw, Captain Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw, Dr. James Penrose and Mr. White, performed by Alex Shaw, Fisherman Ned, performed by Chris Chipman, and The Nag, performed by Spencer Lieb. Ossuary, Lost Frontier, and Dragon and Toast, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes, including Biodome by Tabletop Audio. And many... Many thanks to all who bought New Century audiobooks from Bandcamp over the summer months. Every single penny paid to me from those sales has now been donated to Black Minds Matter and the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network's Autistic People of Color Fund. So your dollars have gone into easing some of the pain and anxiety of this horrendous year upon some of those most vulnerable to the unfair system. Thank you. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Alex Peregrine, Angus Lee, Benjamin, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Dan Hepner, Daniel Salguero, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Marty Huey, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Ungius, Trey Contreras, 
and Tom Painter.